right, so let's go ahead and get started here. We're in uh, week three of our uh, the Reformer series. We've been looking at the life of King Josiah and looking at some of the reforms that he's done. If you have your notes, we've, we kind of talked about this. This is kind of the goal of the whole series, and we've kind of talked about this every week, but again, we're going to hit it again so we can remember it's this. If we learn to lead ourselves, lead our family, and lead our church after the life and leadership of King Josiah, I believe that we will see a renewing and a reviving of our children, youth, marriages, family, church, and community. I really believe that if we can follow the reforms of King, uh, King Josiah, it can really transform everything. Now, remember, just a little bit of a recap, Josiah's grandfather, King Manasseh, was a horrible, terrible king. He was probably one of the worst kings that Judah ever had, and he was just despicable, the Bible says, in so many different ways. And then Josiah's father, King Amon, he was, he was, he was killed two years into his reign, and he did the same thing. But King Josiah, when he became king in eight years old, the Bible tells us that he followed not after the ways of his grandfather, not after the ways of his father, but after the ways of what the Bible says is his father, King David, which means he had a heart after King David. He was like King David. And so what we've talked about the last couple weeks, of course, he became king at eight years old. The Bible records that when he turned 16, he began to seek after God. He began to look to God to help him to do all these things. After that, at age 20, he begins to purge the land. That's what we talked about last week. That he began to go through the land and destroy all the idols and all the problems that, that came from those idols. He began to purge all these things. And really that brings us to where we are in 2 Chronicles 34 this week. Before we jump into it, I want to pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. And God, I pray that you would just speak through me, God. God, my words are just not enough. But God, you change everything. And that's what we need. So God, I pray that you would do that. That my words would cease and yours would start. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at a story, and, and then we're going to kind of look at it and kind of dissect it. And I want to kind of let you know, this is kind of a, a series within a series. This is part one. We're going to talk about part two next week. So please make sure you're here next week to kind of hear part two. But really what we're going to be talking about this morning is a story of lost and found. A story of lost and found. I don't know if you've ever lost something. I, I remember as a kid, there was a lost and found at our school. You know, it, it was always amazing what was in the lost and found, you know. And, and I, I remember I, I also, as when I was in college, I worked at a daycare that basically kids would come after school and we would watch them until about five o'clock or something uh, until parents came and picked them up. And we had a lost and found there. And it was always amazing what was in the lost and found. You know, like, there were certain things that made sense. There were like, there were like books in the lost and found. There was, there was sometimes a, a hoodie in the lost and found or a jacket in the lost and found. It never made any sense to me why there were like shoes in the lost and found. How do you leave an area and forget you don't have your shoes on? But somehow there were shoes. And here's what was funny. It, you'd go, oh, well, you know, Aaron, maybe it was a situation where they had an extra pair of shoes and they left a pair. It was usually just one shoe. How do you, how, because here's the thing, I don't know about you, when I'm missing a shoe, things are a little off, you know? And maybe it's because they were eight-year-olds or ten-year-olds, I don't know. But somehow you would lose one shoe. 
This was not like the one sock in the dryer that always disappears. This was a shoe, and there were also socks. It was crazy. But there was always stuff in the lost and found. And I remember parents coming to me just with this look of just like, why did I have children again? And say, hi, I am Joey's mother. Where's the lost and found? Oh, it's right here. And she'd be walking and says, yes, somehow my son lost his shoe. Or somehow my son lost his hat or whatever. And there was always a great amount of joy when it was found. Usually from Joey because he'd been threatened, you know, by his mother. You know, if you lost another pair of whatever, you know. But it was always lost and found. This morning, we're going to look at a story of lost and found that we find in 2 Chronicles 34. So let's jump in there and let's find out a little bit about this story. So we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to start with verse number 8. And this is what it says. In the 18th year of his reign, so 18th year, basically 8 plus 18, if my math is correct, which normally it isn't, Josiah is now 26 years old. Okay, he's 26 years old. After he had purified the land of the temple, Josiah appointed Shapham, son of Azalah, Messiah, the, the governor of Judah. I butchered that one. And Joah, son of Joaz, the royal historian, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Okay, so let's stop for a second. Let's see where we're at. This is in his 26th year. So he's been king now for a little bit of time. And so he's looked at the temple. This is God's holy temple. This is Solomon's temple. That was just, we, we read about it earlier in scripture, just how beautiful it was and amazing. But we also remember, if you were here week one, some of the horrible things that his grandfather did in that temple. He brought in idols and just, just desecrated it in a lot of different ways. So he looks at it and he goes, you know what? We need to get this fixed. This is not okay. This has got to be looked at and, and, and begin to be fixed. So let's continue now with our story in 2 Chronicles 34, verse number 9. And this is the first part and then we'll, we'll jump on. It says, they, they gave Hilkiah, the high priest, the money that had been collected by the Levites who served as gatekeepers at the temple of God. Now let's jump on to verse 10 and 11. He entrusted the money to the men aside to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. They paid the workers who did the repairs and renovation of the temple. They hired carpenters and builders who purchased finished stone for the walls and timber for the rafters and beams. They restored what earlier kings... Now, remember, those earlier kings is his grandfather, probably his great-grandfather and his father, okay? The earlier kings of Judah, however, had allowed to fall into ruin. And so they, they basically collected money and now they're bringing people in to fix everything up and make it, make it look beautiful and fixed up again. Okay, they're doing a restoration project basically or, you know, uh, what, what are the people, Ann and, no, Joanne and, what's his name? The, the, the people that do all that. You know what I'm talking about. The flower people. Would Joanne, what? You know. Who is it? Chip and Joanne. Yes. Chip and Joanne. Yeah, I love that show because people watch it and they're like, I could do that in an hour. And then three years later, they still don't have a toilet in their house, you know. But anyway, Chip and Joanne. So they're doing a Chip and Joanne type of situation in the temple of God. Let's continue on with our story in verse number 14. So in 2 Chronicles, here's what it says. While they were bringing out the money collected at the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. Hilkiah said to Shapin, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan. Okay, so kind of let's talk about what's going on here. 
Okay, so they're cleaning out, they're going through, they're, they're, you know, it's perfect, it's springtime, maybe you started your spring cleaning kind of stuff, you know, and so this is what's going on. They're going in and they're cleaning and they find the book of the law. Most theologians and historians feel that they found basically either part or the entire book of Deuteronomy. They find it. They haven't had it for a long time. Some people, some of the things I was reading said it could have been up to 100, maybe even 200 years since they had this book. And they've lost it. But here they are, they're looking around, they're cleaning stuff up, and they find it. They find it. And now the final verse, 2 Chronicles 34, 19. Here's what it says. Basically, they take it to the king, and they begin to read it to him. And this is what it says. When the king heard what was written in the law, in that book, in Deuteronomy, he tore his clothes in despair. He tore his clothes. To, to do that in the Old Testament, that is symbolizing something. It's, it's basically taking what's going on in the inside of your heart and expressing it on the outside. And what he's doing here, when he's ripping and he's tearing, he's basically showing an amazing amount of grief, an amazing amount of repentance. And he's, because he's, he's hearing this and he's learned something. He's gone, you know what? We're not living the way that the Bible or the law of God, which is the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, in this case specifically Deuteronomy, we're not following what God has asked us to do. Now next week we're going to get into a little bit more of what takes place after he's heard this. He, he, he does some pretty amazing things and some things that we're going to learn about but next week. But, but the bottom line is this, in his day the word of God had been lost. The word of God has been lost. And, and, and he is just broken about this. He's just going, oh my goodness. He's basically learned how far Judah and, and also Israel have fallen away from what God has asked them to do. And he's heartbroken. He's tried so hard and now he's realized something. He's realized that we, he has fallen short. He's realized that, that they need to make some more changes. You see, and this is point number two, in, in our story and in our world, I really believe this, the word of God has been lost. You see, one of the reasons why this series was so important to me and, and, and it really felt like God laid this on my heart is, is there's a lot of similarities between our world today and King Josiah's world. There's a lot of similarities. We can learn a lot about our world and how we need to change some things and look at some things by looking at his reforms and the things that he did. But here's the thing, and I really believe this. I believe the word of God has been lost. Now you'd say, now Aaron, no, really, seriously, what do you mean the word of God has been lost? I got four or five copies in my home alone. And I would say that most of us do. I remember how cool it was. I mean, let me roll back a little bit. I remember when I was in high school. And I don't know if you, you know, back in the mid-90s. Um, when I was in high school. And, and I remember what a big deal it was. If you, had been, if you, were, if you were radical. There's another mid-90s word. If you were radical in your faith. What you do is you bring your Bible to school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Josh is over there laughing because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. That was radical. That was huge. That was big, man. If you brought, and here's the other thing. If you actually got it out, you know, like sometimes I think, you know, I was like, I'd bring my Bible to school and it would never leave my backpack, you know, but I'm like, hey, I got it. So, you know, I'm pretty, you know, yay, Jesus, you know. But I remember there was a guy, man, he, and, and he literally, he was teased. He was called Disciple Dan. That was his name. I don't remember his last name. I know his name was Dan. And he would actually, he would get his Bible out at lunchtime and read it in front of everybody. Now, every kid that goes to school can have the Bible on them. It's on their phone. You, most of you download, I, it's on my phone. It's amazing. I can sit there and say, you want to know a scripture? Great. Boop, 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 boop. What translation do you want? Because it's all there. But yet, I believe we've lost the word of God. So I want to talk about how. How. How have we lost the word of God? I basically wrote down three things that I believe in, in it that shows we've lost the word of God. Number one, and I want to explain each one. Number one. We have trampled on the Word of God. We've trampled on the Word of God. What do I mean by that? I don't know if you've ever heard this type of response when it comes to God's Word. But it's the idea of, oh, it's just an ancient book. It's just, oh, I, I mean, there's some good stuff in it, you know. But, you know, is it really relevant to our world today? And, and, and we're just so enlightened now. We're just, we just got it all figured out now. We don't need this, this book that was written thousands of years ago. Really, is it really relevant to what we live through right now? We trample on it. We, we tend to, number two, we tend to despise the word of God. And yeah, that's a pretty strong word. We tend to despise it. I use that word on purpose because you know what we tend to do? Let's just kind of be honest. And, and listen, listen, just so you know, just full disclosure, all three of these things, I do at times. I wish I could say I didn't, but at times I do. So what do I mean when I say despise? This is what I mean. We take scripture and we twist it to fit our opinions and our lifestyles and what we want to do. What's interesting is, is, and I've seen this happen so many times with people, they decide I want to do this or I want this to be okay and they've made up their mind that that's what needs to happen. And then they go to scripture to find one little thing that normally they take out of context to prove that they can do what they want to do. Can I help us with this? We go here first. We understand what this is telling us. And then we use this to apply it to our lives. But typically what we do is we do the opposite. We say, I want to do this, or I don't like this. And so we go and we try to figure out ways to make this be what we want it to be. Listen, hear me here. This is not your word. This is God's word. This is God's letter to you and to me. And here's the thing. Let me, let me help you with this. When, when it becomes my word... It cheapens it. Because I'm not real smart, folks. And I love you, but you're not either. 
And what I mean by that is you don't know what you're having for lunch today. And you go, well, yes, I do, Aaron. We have a roast in the oven. Okay, great. What happens if on your way home you realize, oh, my goodness, I forgot to turn the oven on. You ain't having roast for dinner unless you like it raw. So you, you may think you do, but you don't know. And we think in our limited understanding that we think our word is more important than God's word. One of the reasons I feel like our world is in such chaos right now is because everyone has decided that their word is what matters most. We have no standard. And so in that, we've, we've really despised God's word. We've basically made it say what we want it to say, and therefore there's no standard. Everything's all over the place. And that's not healthy, it's not good, and it's just not what God would have for us. The final thing, and this is kind of an easy one, we've neglected the word of God. We've neglected it. Listen, and hear my heart on this, and I really believe this. This is the greatest thing that has ever been put on paper. This is the answer. I, listen, hear me here. This contains the answer to every single issue and problem that this world has ever faced or will ever face. You don't believe me? Seriously, test me on this. Come up to me and say, well, well I got this question. What about this? I may take a day, but I'll find it. It's here. God has given us everything we need in this book. But the problem is, is you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. Netflix is just so exciting, isn't it? Isn't it, though? I mean, I mean isn't, it, isn't it so much better to spend our time doing this? than the book that has every answer that we could need? Listen, I, I, we need to fall in love again with this. This is so beautiful. This has got it. This is, this is so amazing. And we've neglected it. Now listen, I'm not saying, hey, listen, you know, to, to really not neglect the Bible, you got to spend five hours studying this thing. Here's the thing, listen, start here. You go, I don't know where to start, and I get that. That's not always easy to know where to start. Here's where you start. If you're not getting my emails, let me know. I will add you to them. When the email comes at 5 a.m., you don't have to be up at 5 a.m. to get it, by the way. But when it comes at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., I don't know. 6 a.m., 6 a.m., sorry. When it comes at 6 a.m., whenever you get up, do your day, do something crazy. Open the email. When you've opened the magical email, you can even miss all the stuff where I just say, but in every one, there's a scripture and some explanation. Read that every day. Start there. It'll take you three minutes. I hope you take more time looking at it. It'll take you three minutes. Start there. 
If you go, I, I, I don't know the Bible. I, I don't understand the Bible. Listen, I, I mean this with all my heart. One of the best emails I can ever receive is the email that says, Aaron, will you help me understand this portion of Scripture? My heart leaps up in those moments. And then I spend the next two hours writing. If you've got an email from me in this situation, you've seen this. I'm like, oh, oh, but this, and then, then this, and then, then, then this. And my fingers get tired and all that. I mean, I love those things. If you don't understand it, let's talk about it. Let's dissect it together. You're never going to bother me by that type of question. you got to start somewhere. But you know what? In a lot of ways, we've neglected it. We've neglected it. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? It's real simple. We need and we must rediscover the word of God. We need to rediscover it. Lost and found. Now, the question is, how do we rediscover God's word? Okay? And as I was looking at this this week and putting all this together, I thought, you know, it would be a good idea to see and learn from, you know, like, like what I say is whatever, and there's other pastors and other theologians, and they're great, and whatever, you know, all those things. But you know what? I would be interested to hear about what Jesus has to say about God's Word, okay? I'm interested because he quoted it a lot. He used it a lot. When, when he was tempted in the, in, the, in the wilderness, he quotes Scripture. Jesus knows Scripture and has an understanding of it that we can learn from. So we're going to look at what Jesus had to say to help us rediscover God's word. So we're going to be in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, Jesus is in the middle of one of, if, well, not one of, the greatest sermon ever. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to talk about many, many different things. But one of the things he talks about is uh, the word of God. And we're going to break down four verses together this morning to help us rediscover the word of God. So we're going to be in Matthew 5, 17, 18, 19, and 20. You can turn there if you'd like, or it'll be on the screen, and you can kind of follow along with us. Let's see what Jesus has to say. So this is what he says in Matthew 17. Do not think, this is Jesus speaking, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now let's stop there and see what Jesus is talking about. The law at this time is basically the concept of the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then he goes one step further and he talks about the prophets. The prophets are what we see as Jeremiah, Isaiah, all the funny names that you see sometimes later on in the Old Testament. So Jesus here is talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. Acts hasn't happened yet. So he's specifically talking about the Old Testament. Okay, let's go ahead and put it back on the screen. We got it there? There it is. Thank you. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Listen, we need to rediscover the word through fulfillment, not abolishment. Now, let me explain what I mean here. To abolish is to tear down. 
It's to destroy. What Jesus is basically communicating here is, listen, I didn't come to destroy the Old Testament. I didn't come to destroy the prophets. What I came to do was to fulfill them. I came to, fulfill means the idea of to complete or the idea to finish up. So basically what Jesus is saying here is, listen, when it comes to God's word, we need to be more focused on the fulfillment of it versus the, the abolishment of it. And here's what I found. A lot of times people, uh, Christians, have this mentality of, of almost like we know more about what they're against than what they're for. You know what's interesting about God and his plan for so many things, not, not exclusively, but so many things? God really isn't in the business of abolishment. He's in the business of fulfillment and restoration. God doesn't look at you and me as sinners and as, as, as flawed individuals and say, I'm going to abolish them. He fulfills his promise of salvation through his son in you and me. And unfortunately, as Christians, we tend to, to kind of go to a, 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 a person of, of kind of just kind of destroying stuff instead of allowing God's word to bring forth fulfillment to people and completeness in, in people, instead we tell people how horrible they are. And we use the book to do it. Now listen, listen here. Sin is sin, and sin will separate us from God. And we need to preach that with, 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 with conviction. But you know what? There's another side of that coin. And the other side of that coin is mercy and grace and love that Christ died to give us. So listen, please, we, we preach sin because it separates us from God. But we also preach grace and the fulfillment of all those promises that we see from Genesis to Malachi. And even more so in the New Testament. So we need to rediscover it through fulfillment. Next, let's move on. Matthew 5, 18. So Jesus now continues. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That idea of iota or dot, not to get real technical, but basically in the Hebrew language, those are little, small, almost like punctuations. Or another way to describe it is, you know when you put a little, little case I and you put the little dot over it? It's kind of like that. It's kind of these little itty-bitty insignificant little things that they would use in their writing. And here Jesus is sitting here going, listen, listen, not one of those things is going to pass away. Not one of those things. What do we need to understand through this? We need to rediscover through the trustworthiness of God's word. There is a trustworthiness to God's word. It's going to last. It's active. It's alive. It's, it's God-inspired and God-breathed. We'll talk about more about that next week. But there's this idea here that we can trust what it says. You know, what, you know we, we live in a culture, in a world, where everything is so scrutinized and should be. We live in a world where we turn on the news or turn on the internet. And what I don't know about you, but listen, I don't know if I, I can't watch that stuff without going... Okay, what's, 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 what's really behind all this? Is this really true? I mean, my wife will tell me things, and I'll go, yeah, but, but who, who, who said that? And why did they say it? And how much money do they get for saying it? That's a horrible way to live. 
I'm just being honest. In my life, I shouldn't live that way. But then you go, okay, well then Aaron, what can you trust? God's word. It's going to last. It is, it is an enduring word. Here's the, what's wonderful. It was true for my great, 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 great grandpa. And it's going to be true for my great, great grandson. We can trust it. Listen, we talked about this uh, once before, the idea of an anchor. If you need an anchor in your soul, it's Jesus, okay? And we use this to understand more about who he is and what he has done and what he's doing. This is an anchor. If you feel like you're drowning, if you feel like the world you live in right now is just chaos, you need to grab a hold of something. This is what God has given every person in this world to hold on to. The problem is, is we try and unfortunately we put our trust and our faith in things that, listen, hear me here, are going to change tomorrow. This is an enduring word. Okay? We need to hold on to it. Next, Matthew 5.19. In Matthew 5.19, Jesus continues. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven okay listen here's what we need to do we can rediscover through the obedience and teaching of truth not relaxing truth not relaxing truth let me show you something here that word relaxing that word what it really kind of is indicating or showing is the concept of untying okay when you see that word relaxing, you ever, you ever had a shoe and you put your shoe on and, and um, it's too tight? And that's very uncomfortable, isn't it? You get that shoe on, you can't move it, it cuts off your circulation and all those sort of things. And, 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 and basically that idea that Jesus is trying to get us to understand is this concept of, of relaxing is untying. Now here's the problem with you uh, relax a shoe too much, okay? If you relax a shoe too much, do you know what happens? falls off that's that's one thing that's the ultimate issue but if it stays on do you know what it does it gives you a blister it hurts it gives you a blister why because there's a there's friction there's rubbing there that takes place because the shoe doesn't fit right when i look at our world today and some of the issues that we see i see blisters all over the place that could be avoided if we simply, as the church, as pastors, as Christians, begin to simply tighten up our shoe. Now, we don't see in this idea that Jesus gives us an idea of being so tight that the person can't move his foot. That's the other thing that tends to happen. 
what we're seeing here is this idea of through obedience, through doing God's word and expressing that and living out that way, that when we do it the right way, guess what? Everything fits. You ever had a, a child who has a pair of shoes that are just too small or just too tight? And then you go and you get them a new pair of shoes. They put their shoes on and they're like, ooh, ooh, these feel pretty good. And you ever see a kid and once they get those new shoes on, they run? Because they're like, oh yeah, I'm so fast in my new shoes. I used to do that. Easton does that. Yeah, oh, 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 they're, they've got all this support. It's springy. When you got the right fitting shoes and your feet don't hurt, it's a big deal. We need to understand that spiritually in our world today. We need to understand that it is not good to relax what God has said. But we also need to understand, listen, hear me here. There are things that are preached and taught that Jesus didn't say either that bind people. That cause pain and blisters. So it's not just about teaching the truth, which is important. It's not just about doing it. It's also not about relaxing it. It's about making sure that what we're teaching, what we're learning, what we're communicating is what God's word is saying. And that's hard because a lot of people can take a lot of things out of context. But we have to rediscover it in that way. Number four, last one, Matthew 5.20. Matthew 5, 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Aaron, what does this have to do with, with this? Let me tell you. We need to rediscover through deep understanding and discernment. What was Jesus communicating here? The scribes and the Pharisees are the guys, they're like the pastors of the day. They, they are the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus, and they, they constantly battled. They constantly fought. And you know what they fought about the most? An understanding of the scriptures. Here's these guys that literally, and I mean this literally, had the Torah and probably most of the prophets memorized, and yet... They had Jesus standing right in front of them and they couldn't discern it. What he's saying here is not we need to be more strict, not we need to be more religious. What he's saying here is we need to truly understand what God's word is telling us. How do you do that? You look, you read. You study, you, you, you get a hold of your pastor and, and tell him, I don't understand, will you help me? Or our friends that you know, that you trust. We've got to get an understanding of it. We've got to get some discernment in it. And so Jesus is looking at us when he's talking about the word. He says, listen, you need to rediscover it and here's how. Here's how. But then there's one step that we see a little bit further. The worship team's going to come on up. We're going to close. Then it's found in Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, Paul is writing to the church there. And, and this is what he says. And this is so beautiful and so important that we catch. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ. Now, now, let's stop there for just a moment, okay, so we understand. 
what this translation, what that Greek really is communicating is, is, is basically, just make it simple and quick, it's basically the Bible, okay? It's, it's, it's the words of Jesus, it's the Old Testament, it's God's word, okay? So that's what he's trying to communicate. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I just got a simple question. Real easy, real easy answer. Do you allow the word of God to dwell in you richly? Okay. Dwelling in you richly is a deeper understanding than just what most of us tend to do. Listen, this is the last thing on your notes, and we need to understand this. There is no shortcut for letting the word of God dwell in us richly. This is not just going to happen. Like I said a little bit earlier, we, we kind of need to fall in love with this book again. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, and I've already dated me, so it's, it's fine, but we used to, when I was in high school, you know, I had a girlfriend and so on and so forth, and I don't know if you used to do this and, and, and stuff, but we used to pass notes. Remember notes? And they were just, you know, they written on a, you know, they were written on paper. You know, that's weird, I know. And, and, and typically, my girlfriend wasn't in my class because, it was, you know, and so basically when she was in a class or I was in a class, instead of actually paying attention, I would, I would, we would write notes to each other and say just nothing. Just nothing. Just, oh, the teacher's so boring. You know, I wish I was doing this, you know. Did you watch the latest episode of whatever? You know, just blah, blah. And you know what we would do, at least I would do, and at least the friends I had would do? We would get those notes, and we would just open them, and we'd read them, and oh, it was just the greatest thing. And here's the other thing that was silly. We would save them. Part of the breaking up process in the mid-90s, at least in my school, was the disposal of said notes. I mean, that's what you knew. It was over. Had a shoebox, you know. Take a burning ceremony, and you put them in there, you know. That was it. I mean, that was it. Did you burn my notes? Yes, the, the notes are gone. Ooh, how dare you? You know, that was it. And it's so silly because I valued those things so much. I would go back and read them again. You know, because normally it was notes about how wonderful I was. You know, lies, of course. And I would hold on to them and read them again and again. I would look forward to the next note. And yet, I would look at Scripture as just some ancient book. You know, I've heard it said, and maybe it's a good analogy, maybe it isn't, that the Bible is really a love note to you from God. It's all about Jesus. But it's a guide. It's an anchor. Every question you have or will ever have can, can be found in this book. And I would say this, if, if it isn't found, you don't need to know. It's just, it's just not necessary. But I'll be honest with you, I found every answer to my life in this book. How to be a better father, 
how to be a better husband, how to be a better pastor, how to fall in love with Jesus, how to see my world, how to understand death and life, how to live, how not to live. All of these things have been found here. And here's the thing, I've studied it, I've looked at it almost my whole life. And it's like every time I open it, there's something new that God wants to express to me. Listen, I hear this so much. God just seems so far away right now. No, he's not. He's right here. He's right here. He wants to speak to you. And he does it so often through what he's written in this book. Listen, our world, our nation, our, our churches, just to be flat honest with you, we've lost God's word. We've replaced it with some cheap expression of, of Aaron's book or John's book or, or, or Megan's book instead of God's book. Listen, hear me here. No matter how great you think your book is, God's book is greater and better what he has planned for you and me. But we've lost it. Guys, listen. If we're going to see the renewing and the reforms that I have talked about, that I believe God wants to do, we've got to use the guidebook. Because if we don't, listen, if we don't, we'll go down a path that is not what God has for you and me. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you right now. And God, I thank you for your word God, I thank you for all that it contains, poetry and proverbs and history and, 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 and prophecy and, and the law and Jesus. Jesus is through it all. Really, God, if we fall in love with your word, really what we're doing is we're falling in love with you, Jesus, because we see in John that you are called the word. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. To fall in love with your word is really to fall more in love with you. And that's what you've called us to do. And so God, no matter where we're at on our journey, no matter, no matter if we haven't really opened the Bible in a long time, or, or even if we're doing a pretty good job, God, you love us and you just want to help us. You want to express more of yourself to your kids through your word. Because you love us so much. God, don't let us be like me in high school where, where the note from a girl was so much, unfortunately, more important than a note from my God and my Father who sent His Son to die for me. Change my heart and help all of us, all of us, to rediscover your amazing word to us. We love you. We thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come and lead us in a quick closing chorus. So I'll stand with Oh, Lord.
Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it transforms our understanding. Thank you that it's active and living. And Father, that it can change everything because it's the story of you. So God, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you would just help us to have a new desire for your word. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Man, listen, thanks so much for being here. Everybody that's online, hey, we love you, we miss you, we hope to see you soon. We're gonna take a few minutes and let's spend some time together and then we'll go downstairs. We'll get some eggs set up for some, some, some uh, backyard Easter egg hunt kits for our community and then we'll have a great week. So love you, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.